Welcome to Gente and Health, a podcast by the Center for the Study of Latino Health and Culture. I'm the Center's Director, David Hayes Bautista, otherwise known as the Old Chicano Professor. This podcast is an outgrowth of the research that we have been a part of for many years. Join us as we discuss the state of Latinos and as we unearth the voices of Gente and Health. Today's guest is Denise Diaz, who was born and raised and educated in the city of Southgate, right here locally. Denise is a proud product of Southeast Los Angeles' vibrant neighborhoods. As a public health affairs expert and councilwoman elected to the Southgate City Council in 2017, Denise is a proud advocate for mental health initiatives, spearheading youth employment programs and promoting gender slash environmental equity and sustainability communities. She presently serves as Director of Public Affairs for the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, advocating for culturally competent mental health services to improve the health and well-being of diverse communities, and successfully introduced a policy to provide behavioral therapy in all three of her community's middle schools. Her passion for public service has nurtured meaningful public-private partnerships aimed at addressing the everyday needs of her community. So welcome, Denise. Welcome to the broadcast, and thank you for joining us today. No, thank you so much for this lovely invitation to get to talk to you and to all the viewers. All right. Well, just to start, uh, I know you were born and raised in Southgate. Hey, I was born and raised not too far away in San Pedro, but just a little bit down the highway. But can you just share your journey with us from wherever you want to start about how you got to where you are and what it meant to you? Absolutely. You know, you mentioned... San Pedro, Southgate, similar environmental issues uh, we face, right? Whether it's the air pollution quality, that was the really the fire that really just brought me out to run for local office. Grew up in Southeast Los Angeles, Southgate, a vibrant community, as you mentioned, um, but a community that has constantly been overlooked, a community that people overlook, a community that there's so much talent, but because of the lack of resources, um, this talent gets untouched. Um, now I'm seeing generations of folks thriving, but that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get in involved in local politics is to be that policymaker, be that vocal, loud advocate to demand that we deserve the best of the best, whether, yes, we don't have over uh, jurisdiction over LAUSD, but guess what? I did implement policies that were gonna help the education of my youth. Or when it comes to county services, I was very involved of what my community deserves. So that's what I did. Uh, my parents moved back in 1978 here to the city of Southgate. Uh, they still live in the same home. They ended up opening up a small business that has been um, already 47 years. My sisters became educators. They educate actually here at two of the local schools in Southgate. So really homegrown. Uh, very active, Rotary Club, Kiwanis, everything you could think of, very involved. Started the first environmental activism group here because uh, folks didn't know that we're in close proximity to three super fun sites, which are brownfields. And so I started that advocacy group, which led to me um, saying, you know what, if I did that, I could run for local office. Um, took out an incumbent, an amazing incumbent. But we all know leadership is when you know the time is done for you, you should move on and give an opportunity to someone else. Okay, well, uh, just if you could share a little bit your internal journey 
Uh, how did you know it was time for you to get into politics and policy? What what led to that realization? You know, when I was out there and literally with clipboards asking folks, um, surveying them whether or not they knew they were in close proximity to brownfields, um, the majority said no, and they were just complaining about the lack of over overgrown trees, lack of lighting, broken infrastructure, the frustration, and I just said, like, you know what, they're getting to know me. This is frustrating. I think I should be that voice of reason for them and that champion for them in office. So that's when I came on board. And for me, um, normally campaigns on a local level, are, you might think they're local level, smaller campaigns, but folks are, are really throwing tons of money in there. And my race, I only ended up fundraising about $5,000. But what I did is um, reached out to all my high schools because I knew the youth needed to complete their service hours, right? And um, got them Little Caesars Pizza and Pizza Hut. And my campaign office became a safe zone for them, a teen hangout for them. But my main mission was to get them civically engaged. Um, that was really was key for them to get civically engaged, to learn the process of local policy and how local municipalities um, run. And I started off with five students and I'm not even lying. I ended up with about 45 students every single day, phone banking and door knocking for me. And they really, really enjoyed it. Um, so that's what I ended up doing different from any other one else, you know, that have run local campaigns. It's getting the youth involved. So that promise that I gave them was to start a paid youth employment program. Um, as you know, there's been activism around lack of paid internships. And so I told them I'm going to make sure because I want to have something on your resumes, on your curriculums. So got the youth very, very involved and spearheaded tons of youth employment programs, specifically during the summer and throughout the year. Can you give us an example of some of the types of situations these students get into? Yes. So my students are going to vary because uh, we have all types. Uh, we actually have a total right now of five, five high schools. Um, if you look back, uh, we were actually, uh, we made headlines back in the early 90s where we were the most overpopulated city with too many students with no um, elementary schools and no high schools. And now we have five of them. So my students uh, come from hardworking parents, right? Uh, living in multi-generational households. Um, and so we saw during the pandemic, a lot of my college students that were going to the local ELAC didn't even have Wi-Fi or were sharing um, the Wi-Fi with their little siblings and with their grandparents there. So it's a hardworking community, right? So we need to be able to provide these resources and these opportunities. You know, me as an elected official that I was there, I made sure that I had the power to provide resources for my youth in order to see them grow for their future. Mm -hmm. I'd like, if you don't mind, to go before you were out there with a the clipboard. How did you get out there with a the clipboard? I mean, what was it in high school or college? Just what? What transformed you? You know, what really is transforming, you're absolutely right. What I tell my youth that reached out to me or folks that are now running and they ask me for advice, it's it's network. Get involved and be out there because you never know. And really expose yourself and do not be afraid. You know, get involved in the key club, the Kiwanas, you name it, get involved, 
be active. Even if you're the only one that's showing up and you're scared and intimidated because you don't know anyone in the room, you're going to eventually just start, you know, start a conversation with everyone and just, it really just helps you. Um, that's what I started in high school, right? Just getting involved with multiple activities. Um, we do run into the issue accessibility of transportation or, or activities in our communities of Southeast LA, but it is, you know, get involved with your programs, you know, that are involved in high school. And not to mention in college, once you go out there, really get involved of getting to know what opportunities are out there and don't be afraid. Um, I hear a lot about the imposter syndrome in generations and, you know, everyone's going to live through that. But, you know, we really cannot focus on that because we deserve to be there. and We deserve quality stuff. I remember I did a study back in the 90s. I looked at the city councils of a lot of cities, including uh, Southgate, Huntington Park. Uh, the mayor and the council members in 1990. And then, of course, we have the 1992 uprising. And they were almost uniformly, almost all non-Hispanic white. Right. And by 2000, they were largely Latino. And by 2010, almost 100% Latino. That is the city councils, the mayors, et cetera. Uh, so you would have lived through some of that. Uh, just what difference does it make? Is it that they're Latino mayors and city council, or is that they're accountable mayors and city councilmen? Just what made the difference? It really is not the ethnicity shouldn't even bring it, bring up a point. I think it should be accountability and it should be a person that, you know, is focused and is determined. I believe the way you campaign is the way you're going to lead. Right. Um, you're absolutely right. You saw that change. What ended up happening in Southeast LA is, if you recall back in 82 and 84 is when the general mortars in the Firestone plant closed, right? And that's when we saw a huge wave of the change of these communities in Southeast LA. And when you saw a wave of more of immigrant families moving into the community. Um, and I think what we need is more of the representation of folks that actually grew up in the community, right? That went to local schools, that saw the needs and challenges and saw the lack of re resources and they want to make the difference so they don't go through what they went through during their upbringing and change it for future generations. Mm -hmm. You know, that does remind me, and this is before your time, but I remember, I grew up in L.A. that was segregated. Um, for example, I could only go to swimming pools on Thursday. That was colored day. And when you're a kid, you're six, you're seven, you know, no le entra. Just, oh, it's Thursday. I, can get, I get to go to the swimming pool without thinking, how come I couldn't go on Saturday? But that's okay. Uh, but I remember Huntington Park was a um, segregated town, all white, sundown town, we used to call it. I remember one time one of my aunts, uh, she lived over in City Terrace, asked me to go to Huntington Park, pick some furniture for her. And I never had really had any reason to go to Huntington Park. This would be like 1962, 61, somewhere around there. And I remember going to Huntington Park, and it was so different from East L.A. It was all white, all these old people. And, oh, man, I got the stairs. So I just remember that. That would be like 61, 62. And then, of course, you had simultaneously the Watts uprising in 64, 65. And then you had the um, housing segregation was declared illegal. And suddenly, brown folks, black folks can move into Huntington Park. So you had this white flight. Right. And it happened like almost overnight. 
kaboom. And what's interesting is that uh, these towns, right? And I believe, I, I know that Inglewood, believe it or not, was a sundown town, racially segregated, all white. Huntington Park, I believe Southgate was as well. Uh, and so you get the uprising, you get the suddenly the desegregation of housing, you get the closure of these manufacturing that uh, had employed a lot of blue collar folks. And basically they just all left. Now what's interesting is in a lot of urban areas like South Bronx, like Detroit, like Chicago, when the white middle class left, it just left nothing. And Detroit, you can go whole blocks, literally just deserted everything, houses, storefront, everything deserted. That would have been the history of Southgate and Huntington Park, of Watts, you name it, Compton, except for Latino immigrants who moved into the housing that was being abandoned, kept it up, paid the taxes, opened up businesses, mm -hmm. created families. Mm -hmm. I mean, they kept South Central from looking like Detroit. And the thanks they got for it was Proposition 187. But I remember uh, during that period in the 90s, after the 92 uprising, looking at public service and the whole Southeast corridor was almost naked. There was like almost no public parks, almost no public services. And that's about when you were coming of age or mm -hmm. being born. So you kind of saw it when it was emptied out. And then now it's slowly starting to fill up again. But I, I claim that Latino immigrants saved L.A. from looking like a giant Detroit. You're absolutely right. I mean, the financial, and that's getting to the point of where Southgate stands right now, right? We have this amazing development. You know, when we spoke to folks such as the Michaels, the Marshalls, the TJ Fridays that now are in Southgate, they couldn't believe the amount of money that they made in three months. They assumed they were going to make it in one year they made it in three months. So the revenue and the financial parity that Latinos have that really make up these communities, I love that you brought that up. Mm -hmm. So now you have different government, clearly ethnically different, but I imagine it's a responsibility. I do remember, and I believe it was, was it Huntington Park or was it Southgate, where you'd have the city manager, a non-Hispanic white city manager who's making an obscene like $800,000 a month because Nobody was providing oversight, like all his buddies on the city council were just covering. And I believe he bought a big ranch up in Oregon or Washington. He would fly in to one of these Southeast city and do his city manager, then fly back out. Uh, and a lot of these council people, the non-Latinos, would, wouldn't actually live. The firemen, the policemen, they'd live outside, come in, then go back home at night. Uh, so that was when you were growing up. Right, right. And, and, you know, as you mentioned, the 92 also unrest, right? It really also, it, it hit uh, Lingwood, it hit Southgate. Um, so let's not forget it also. It wasn't just like South Central and South LA. It came into our neighborhoods as well, which affected us. And it took a while for us to get back on our feet. Mm -hmm. But uh, the communities did a good job of getting back on their feet. And I remember uh, back in the mid-90s, uh, Pacific Boulevard in Huntington Park, for example, was the third fastest growing business district after Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills and Ventula Boulevard in uh, Sherman Oaks. Then came Pacific Boulevard, 
Huntington Park, that race a lot. Latinos, blah, 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 blah. But hey, as they say. Exactly. We spend and we shop and <laughs> you see it, right? So it was, you know, being on council was was pretty interesting when I was meeting with these folks, uh, whether even the Pecos, all these, the Chick-fil-A's, yes, these corporates, but when they would see the number of the spending power that we have, they, their eyes would just be like wide open, like, oh my gosh, can we come in, right? So I'm going to say that Southgate really opened up so many opportunities um, for the surrounding cities that are smaller, right? We're about 120,000 population. So we do have a little bit more support when it comes to resources that are trickled down from the state and county versus your Cudahy, that's a smaller community, right? Cudahy is just a mile and a half radius. We're about two eight mile radius. So I also believed in being a good neighbor and advocating for my surrounding cities because what happens in Southeast LA, people don't know when they cross borders. They don't know when they left Huntington Park, when they got into South Peak or they got into Maywood, right? We're all same. We're all a community. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Okay. So as we're starting the new fiscal year, July 1st, if you had one big bullet point that you wanted to uh, address in the city of Southgate for this coming year, what would that be and why? You know, I think prior even to the pandemic, we were a community that faced so, faced so many health stressors, um, environmental stressors, also stressors with the lack of competent school schooling, school districts, right, which is out of my hands. So with that, these health stressors lead to our mental health. Um, we're seeing an increase in suicide rates, not only in our male men, but our children, our youth. Uh, when we get those reports from our police department, it's really heartbreaking. So I took initiative on if we don't take care of our residents, our businesses, our constituents, mental health, our community is not going to continue flourishing, right? So I couldn't point femur, fingers and blame LA County DMH or and I couldn't blame LAUSD. I had to really take that initiative and really focus on a policy surrounding mental health. I think we first have to take care of ourselves. And the increase of suicides in Latino men is quite alarming as to my young youth, right? So that's what I wanted to focus, destigmatizing mental health, um, also offering accessible, free, no-pay behavioral therapy to my constituents, my residents, my business owners. That's amazing. That's amazing. Okay. So. You've been in this now, um, city council since 2017, right? I believe about right, five, yeah. Five years. Okay. Uh, in about another five years, there'll be another generation coming up, coming of age. What advice would you give them, given your experience on the city council? You know, and I'm already seeing the younger generation. I have to hear from them. I mean, they're teaching me so much. I didn't even know how to use a TikTok or any of that. And you're thinking, oh, okay, I'm still young. It's the next generations, right? And hearing what they're, you know, what they want, because in the end, they're current future voters and they are going to be future property owners, right? Uh, the I, advice I would give them is they saw what their grandparents, their parents, and now my generation is going through, and there's no excuse for them not to get involved. It really does bother me when I don't see council chambers filled up and I don't see calls on the Zoom for council meetings. 
Um, I would like them to get a little bit more civically engaged and tell us they are our eyes and ears. Tell us what needs and challenges they're facing and what we should be doing. You know, I want them to get more civically involved. Tell us, you know, because politics are everywhere. It's our everyday life. Absolutely. I, I love that phrase that you use that these potential voters are your eyes and your ears. Could you expand on that a little bit? I thought that was a great phrase, a great image. So they're the ones that are out there at the local parks. They're the ones that are going to the local restaurants. They're the ones that are walking the streets. They're the ones that really we want to stay. I, my generation, Dr. Hayes Balthisa, my generation left, right? They didn't find it attractive. They didn't find it attractive, right? Maybe it was a housing cost. Maybe it was the school districts that have low scores. But you rarely see anyone that graduated with me that stayed here in Southgate. You know, and I believed in the model. My campaign that I, you know, what I campaigned on was don't move, improve. But that was a weight that I took on because I could have easily just, you know what? No, there's nothing that Southgate's offering me or Southeast LA. And I want them to stay, you know, but I know sometimes it takes a lot to be um, a policymaker, but I always tell them, let me know. I'm here. You voted for me, right? And I have a responsibility to hear you out. Mm -hmm. That is so amazing. I, I know quite often, particularly in the younger generations, younger folks, so 20, 22, 25, 30 sometimes, uh, I get the response, well, why should I vote? It's just one vote. doesn't count. doesn't matter if I show up or not. And I guess there are a couple of things that that brings to mind. One is, if voting is that unimportant, why? is a certain political party trying so hard to keep people from vote, voting if it's that unimportant? Why do people want to stop you from voting? That says something about the power of that. But I also remember a uh, Get Out the Vote campaign about 20, 2005, thereabouts. Uh, I believe it was on Univision. And they had the most uh, interesting, uh, what would you call it, motivational piece. It, there was this young man, about maybe 20, 21, 22, who was hauling sacks of something out of a truck into a store. And the locutora put the microphone and said, so what do you think about vote? Why would you vote? And he turned and he said this in Spanish. He said, es solo un voto, pero es mi voto. It's only one vote, but it's my vote. He had the right idea. I don't know if you're, have you ever run across anyone like that that would inspire oh people? It's so beautiful um, seeing, you know, I had specifically this one father that um, called me and he's like, this is the first time I get to vote. You know, necesito que me ayudes, me intimida. Because they get intimidated, right? And it was like me guiding them, telling them like, don't be afraid of la urna. You know, there's going to be people guiding you. But he took his kids. Because he was so prideful of that because he didn't get to do that in his own country, right? And that's what really sometimes just fortunately really makes you a bit um, upset and sad how the this is an opportunity we have, right? And you see elsewhere that folks are not capable of, you know, putting out their vote. And one vote does count because there has been elections that have been won with one vote. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing more of that these days. Wow. Okay. So what are the next steps for Denise as Denise moves into the next level of 
policy and political involvement? I right now I I really enjoy implementing policies on culturally competent physicians and mental health practitioners. We need more of that, right? It's not okay for a community to be intimidated not having someone that's not monolingual, bilingual, or that face microaggressions when they finally feel comfortable seeing a behavioral therapist or when their physician doesn't understand their environment or the physician doesn't understand why they have diabetes. Well, maybe they have diabetes because they live in a food desert, maybe because they can't afford, you know, stuff like that. So that's what I'm advocating on a national and state level, um, making sure we have more culturally competent. And as you know, um, it's advocating on, you know, student loan forgiveness and helping underwrite of tuition costs to have more people that look like California, that look like Tejas, right? Tejas just surpassed, I mean, the population um, uh, that, you know, are in these very needed um, health sectors. And that's what I've currently been doing. Absolutely amazing. Do you have any last words of advice for... Um the younger generation for the young folks? You know, what I do want to tell the younger folks is when I first uh, ran for city treasurer, I was told I was too young or uh, not married. I, I mean, they, I was just told so many things. It's really just ignore the noise. And if you have that tenacity and that like hunger and that fire in your belly, you do you, you know, but do it with your all hard work. I'm seeing a lot of, you know, younger generations. I, I need you all to work hard. And if you feel that you gave your all, and if it's meant to be, it'll be for you. Um, and I recommend people really just getting involved, uh, getting involved, voicing their their opinions. Um, and that's what I really want the younger generations to do. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Denise. And please uh, share with us, how can our listeners connect with you and follow the work that you're doing? Absolutely. Uh, please connect with me on my Twitter. It's at Denise Lopez Diaz. And I would love to get more followers and for you to follow all the policies I'm pushing out. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Well, I'm sure you've inspired many of our listeners. So as they say, uh, if you don't like the news you're hearing tonight, go out and make your own. And the way you make it is if you're able to register and then vote. And if for whatever reason you're not able to, get a friend who is eligible, make sure they register, and make sure they vote. Su voz es su voto. Well, that's it for this afternoon. And if you'd like to support these podcasts, go to our website and click our Support Us button. Any and all contributions to CESLAC are greatly appreciated, and they help us maintain our activities, both with this podcast, our research, our public service, as well as our public educational activities. Our executive producers for this segment were Adriana Valdez and Seda Santiso Greenwood. Other writers are Brandy Lopez and Giselle Hernandez. Editing is provided by Elias Rodriguez. And music this week was provided by Mariachi de Uclatlan. Tune in for the next season as we delve further into topics of Latino culture, gente, and health.